the way I thought we would begin tonight is uh, I thought it would be important for us to recognize some various aspects of Brian's life, one of which is uh, as a firefighter. And I know that uh, it's a huge part of your life, Brian. I know that many of you here are our uh, fellow firemen and uh, those who may know him through the fire department. I know that was a great uh, portion of your life, that uh, that's going to be one of the biggest transitions for you is going to be to uh, transition from being a, a, a firefighter to fighting a new kind of fire, but fire nonetheless. And so I'd like to begin by inviting uh, Chief Byersted up here to say a few words. This is the fire chief of uh, the city of Gulfport, and he has been very uh, supportive of Brian in this transition. I know that it's probably not every day somebody walks into your office and says, uh, I'm, I'm packing it in being a firefighter to go to be a minister of the gospel. So share a little bit with us, please. It, it is kind of an unusual circumstance. And uh, I, I got to admit, there's a little bit of mixed feelings for me on this part, because although I know Brian is taking the next step uh, that the Lord has planned for him on his journey, you know, we, we do feel a little bit of a feeling of loss at the fire department because Brian was such a positive person and uh, really a great example of someone who lived the Christian lifestyle. They, he didn't just talk it, he lived it. And I, I can't tell you the amount of times when I'd come in in the evenings late or something, Brian would be down at the front desk there with the Bible opened up and working on a lesson or, you know, just doing some study. And so... He is a tremendous example for all of us there at the fire department. And um, although we are losing him as a firefighter, I have talked to Brian a little bit about possibly being a chaplain for us at, at the fire department. So uh, maybe this is the Lord's way of just opening a new avenue for Brian to serve us there. Uh, like I said, when, whenever I think of Brian, I just think of his positive attitude and um he, he always has kind of a calmness and a quiet uh, confidence that, you know, I'm sure a lot of that comes from his knowledge that he is one of the Lord's people and that, you know, that God has his back all the time. And, uh, you know, even as he's gone through this transition and, and he came and talked to me about leaving the fire service and, and becoming a minister here, he was confident about it. it. It wasn't like he wasn't sure that's what he was meant to do. The Lord was talking to him, and, and he knew that was the, the path that he was supposed to follow. And so, you know, I, I told him, I'm, I'm not going to try to talk you out of following the Lord. <laughs> as much as I hate to lose you, I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> but uh, j- just, you know, I'm sure you know this, Brian, but all your all your brother firefighters support you. We're going to miss you. I think we're still going to be seeing you some, but we'll miss seeing you around there quite as much as we have been. But I know you're going to be successful because of your faith, because of your strength, and uh, because the Lord's behind you, and that's that's really what matters right there. So good luck, Brian. We're going to miss you. Amen. Now, uh, we want to bridge the gap a little bit more between the Brian that uh, uh, the firefighters knew and the Brian that we know. And I think the one person who uh, is in that gap 
uh, more consistently and knows that Brian better than anyone else would be your brother firefighter, your best friend, and your fellow uh, servant here at the church, Kevin Lundy. So, Kevin, you come and say a couple words and try to be nice. And by the way, who, got, who's, who had the hairdo first? Who copied who? Me, I'm older. Oh. He should have gave me more direction. Um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget anything. Uh, after five years of telling you, you're going to leave the fire department become a preacher. And five years of denying it. All I have to say is, I told you so. I had that all week. Um, I worked on a little bit today. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, God addresses how he gives each member of the church a different spiritual gift. God tells us how um, each individual's spiritual gift comes together to form one body. He demonstrates this by making references to different body parts working as one body. He gives us an example of how the hands, feet, eyes, and ears, the spiritual gifts, all work together for God's glory. If someone's familiar with the human body, they can see a big toe and know it's a big toe. You're a big toe. Being my, as you would call it, best good friend, and knowing you so well, I saw a um, good friend, and knowing you so well, I saw a long time ago God has given you the gift of being a pastor. It was very evident as I watched you grow in Christ that God has given you a very special gift. I know it has been a long and not so easy journey over the last several years for you. I can only smile when I think back where it all started. Three firefighters lying face down on the floor at a fire station. One night, it's an allergy attack. Uh, Where it all started, three firefighters lying face down on the floor one night holding hands, feeling scared, unsure, and feeling a little funny about lying on the floor and holding hands. (laughs) And praying to God and asking Him to come into our lives. I can only imagine what you're feeling tonight as you get ordained, scared, unsure, and maybe a little funny about being called a preacher. I thank God that He has allowed me to be part of this journey with you, and I thank God that He is continuing to let me be a part of this journey, serving under you as a youth Sunday school teacher. Tonight, you are closing a chapter in your life and starting a new chapter. As a firefighter, you were called when someone was having one of the worst days in their lives. When someone was extremely sick, they called. When someone had a terrible life-threatening accident, they called. When someone was overwhelmed emotionally and didn't know where to turn, they called. When someone was when when there was an all-consuming fire that could not be stopped, they called. Now, you're moving on to a brand new fresh career. One where people are going to call you if they're having one of the worst days in their lives.
you're going to get called if they're having... You're going to be called when someone's sick. You're going to get the call when someone had a terrible life-threatening accident. You'll be getting a call when someone is emotionally overwhelmed and doesn't know where to turn. And God has called you to fight the all-consuming fire that will consume anyone who does not call Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Not much of a change except for your schedule. You're going to go from working 24 hours on and 40 hours off to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'll be praying for you. My favorite verse is Isaiah 40:22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. In the original language, the circle meant sphere. That one verse proved to me God is real. That Bible said the earth was round 600 years before Christ came, and everyone just knew the earth was flat until 1492. That verse showed me the Bible was true and gave me confidence in God's word. I want you to know tonight I have all the confidence in you as I turn my two sons over to you as your God-appointed spiritual leader and shepherd. That confidence comes from you being a living example of what God's word tells us a true Christian who loves Jesus should look like. May God bless you and your family. And to Suzanne, I'll be honored to call you a preacher's wife. Now we're going to get a little closer to home. Goose, why don't you come and uh, say a few words to your dad? I thought it would be appropriate. Brian, for you to hear from your biggest fan. So mine's not long or intricate or anything, but here it goes. Daddy, since I was a little kid, I've wanted to grow up and be just like you. I I couldn't have asked for a better dad than you. You show me what it means to be a great father and husband, and most of all, what it means to put God first in my life. I know how hard it was for you to leave the fire department after 15 years and leaving a job you love. But you also knew that God was calling you to more. I can't believe, I can't begin to tell you how much more respect I gained for you the day he told me you were quitting the fire department to become a preacher man. I am so proud to call you my dad and that you followed God's plan for your life. I love you, Daddy. Second Corinthians chapter 6, page 1330. The, mis- the mystery of the ministry. You know, there's so many uh, mysterious things about the ministry. And um, thankfully, I know that there are uh, some of you in here tonight who uh, have some questions and you maybe are, are wondering about the ministry. And I assure you that uh, we all, unless you have been in the ministry, unless you're currently in the ministry, uh, you really cannot understand uh, the call that God puts on a man's life and brings them into Ministry. The good news is, is that the Bible has a lot to say about that, and it confirms 
uh, many of the questions that we have and will help us tonight in understanding exactly what is going on here. So I want to begin reading in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's read as the Apostle Paul writes, We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, this opening statement in the beginning of this chapter, you need to understand that 2 Corinthians is a letter written to a church in a place called Corinth. And it's written by the Apostle Paul, a man that God called uh, out of a life of persecuting believers into the gospel ministry. And he called him as really one of the least likely of all people God would call to, to represent him as his man. And this letter is written to a church that knows Paul, that has received instruction from Paul. In fact, Paul, Paul planted this church, but there's struggle now. Now there's some, some, some doubt and some confusion. And the church has began to follow some, some outside teachers who are bringing in a, a false gospel. And these men who come in are very well-spoken and they're very polished and very educated. And so now there's some doubt about the Apostle Paul's credibility and what it is he brings to the table as a minister. And so Paul is writing this second letter to defend himself to the Corinthian believers, to express what the ministry is all about and to to assure them uh, to focus on the correct things and not to get their eyes on uh, worldly things. And so he begins by really laying down this cheerful charge that applies directly to you, Brian. And that is that uh, to be in the ministry is to suffer. Notice with me verse 4. The next verse states, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers to God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, and in distresses. And I want you to see that the minister is going to suffer, but we're going to suffer the same way everyone else suffers. You see, one one of the, the, the false ideas about being in the ministry is that when God calls you to this special calling, that you will somehow... Avoid all the sufferings that are common to everyone else around you. That somehow God's going to put some special halo around you that's going to protect you from all of the, the struggles and the trials that are faced by every person who's in any other um, area of life. And so Paul here dispels that by laying out common struggles that everyone faces. And these are... Uh, that we need to be patient, that we'll be in tribulations, and that there will be needs and there will be distresses. So there are sufferings, as a minister, common to everyone else. But you will also suffer, especially due to your work in proclaiming the truth. Notice verse 5. The Apostle Paul then says that you will suffer in stripes, in imprisonments, and in tumults. 
This is uh, different from the average suffering. This is not suffering that's common to all men, but this is suffering that's common to the Apostle Paul. This is suffering that's common to those who stand in a fallen world and proclaim a truth that is very unpopular, that people don't want to hear, that oftentimes to be uh, right and true with the Word of God is to be completely at odds and opposed to the world around you. And people will not understand The world will not applaud and the powers that be oftentimes will take offense to the things that God has called you to say. And so you will suffer the common sufferings of all people, but you will suffer uh, especially because you've been called to preach a message that the world simply doesn't want to hear. But thirdly, you're also going to face suffering that is voluntary, that is self-inflicted. That is very, as strange as it is to be called to proclaim a message that few people want to hear. It's even stranger that Paul is now going to teach us that there's going to be suffering that you willingly embrace as part of your calling. Notice the second part of verse 5. He says, now in labors, in sleeplessness, and in fasting. These are sufferings that come to the man who is committed to this calling. That this calling knows no time clock. This calling knows no holidays. This calling does not take a hiatus. The calling is never not a calling. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter what place you find yourself in, you will always be a minister of the gospel. Whether you're awake or whether you're asleep, it does not matter. The phone will ring at the most inopportune times. There will be a life on the other end of the phone that needs guidance, wisdom, counsel. No matter how tired you are, no matter what's going on around you, it will come. And catastrophe and calamity and need oftentimes come when you are most exhausted and feel least prepared. There's also the sleeplessness that comes with the worry and the fret. You see, it's common for any of us to awake in the middle of the night and to be worried and concerned about those whom we love and to be concerned about our teenager who's not home and we're waiting to hear the door close or or your wife who may be facing uh, some uh, test at the at the doctor's office. But you see, the ministry brings a whole new wave of concern because now there's an entire flock of sheep that... You may be the only person who's concerned about some of those sheep. And so now, not only do you have the teenager that you're worried about and the wife that you're worried about, but you also have everyone else's teenager that you're worried about. You have everyone else's marriage that you're concerned about. And on and on it goes. And so you find yourself oftentimes awakened in the middle of the night, knowing that God has awoken you to fall on your knees And to pray and to weep before Him for those that maybe no one else is praying and weeping for. And that is something that you joyfully, gladly embrace. And it's a very strange mystery. It's a mystery how you find such contentment in the ministry in giving up that which is so precious to you now for people who may never know 
the cost for which you have given up for them. So, to be a minister is to suffer. Common sufferings. Sufferings because of the message. And then sufferings that you voluntarily inflict upon yourself. But also, Paul goes on. He says that there's a certain character that fits a minister. In verse 6, he says, By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, and by sincere love. Here we see the kind of person it takes to be God's man, to serve as his mouthpiece. That there is no room for sin. There is no room to, uh, to, to dance on the edge of uh, what's displeasing unto him. You must flee from all the temptations as, and realize that the enemy now turns his sights directly upon you and your family. And he would like nothing more than to discredit you and to tear you down and to destroy you. And so purity has to be the preeminent virtue of your life. By knowledge, you must know that which you speak of. You cannot speak with power of something you have yet to experience or yet to encounter. You must swim through the pages of Scripture with such a, a ferociousness that you, you sit and you read and you study and you think not until you're tired, not until the clock ticks to a certain point, but until God has given you that which you need to feed those which He's called you to feed. It is that character, that long-suffering patience that it takes to love those who resent you as you love them, who, who, as you speak wisdom and love and kindness into their life, refuse to listen to that which you plead with them to listen to. You have to suffer long because sometimes sheep wander far and it's a long road home and you may be the only one that God has placed to walk that sheep back to the safety and security of the shepherd's house. You must be kind. You must be kind to those around you. You must be known as a man of, of kindness. And how on earth would you ever be able to rise to this list of character traits only one way? And that's by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You've got to lean upon God. You've got to know that He resides within you. You've got to become so familiar with that still, small voice inside of you that it sounds more common. It sounds more comfortable than even your own. And that will give you the sincere love that God poured out on your heart at salvation according to Romans 5. And so this is the character of the man that God calls and the man that God uses. So you'll suffer. You'll need this character. But you'll have to be a special kind of person. Not anyone can serve in the capacity by which God has called you to serve. Notice in verse 7, Paul goes on to say, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, Paul is under attack as he writes these words. And he is solidifying himself as one who is confined to the boundaries of Genesis to Revelation. That you know nothing apart from what is recorded in this scripture. That this 
book contains everything that you need as a manual and a prescription to succeed in the ministry of the gospel. And do not go uh, looking for uh, wisdom from other books and from other people and opinions. You first and foremost devote yourself to the knowledge and study of the word of truth because this is the only thing that you can trust as true. This and this alone. There's power that God's going to give you. There's armor that God gives you every day to put on, to live in righteousness. And Paul says it's on his right hand and on his left. And that's sort of a strange and peculiar statement. What does Paul mean by that? Paul means that he is, he is ready for battle. And in both hands, he holds the weapons of his warfare. And he's ready to take attack from all sides because he is armed with the truth of God. He is bearing the armor of God and he goes forth in the power of God. And that's what your life will become on a daily basis. And there will be times when you don't feel so protected. There'll be times when you don't feel so powerful. There'll be times when you don't feel so equipped, but it's not about the way you feel. You've got to remember that tonight is not about you. It's about God. God has called you to do something that you are incapable of doing. That's the point. That's part of the mystery. So what we've seen is that you're going to suffer as a minister, that there's a character of a minister, and that there's a type of person that a minister must be. But then we get to the real mysterious part of the ministry. Notice with me in verse 8, 9, and 10. Paul begins to use... Uh, These opposites to show the mystery of the life in the ministry. In verse 8, he says, By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, but behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Paul uses the negative and the positive To show that the life of ministry is a mysterious life. That when God calls a man into the ministry, his life is marked simultaneously by insignificance on one hand and true greatness and glory on the other hand. And learning to live within that balance, learning to live between two worlds as you minister in a broken and hurting world, but your citizenship has already been conveyed into the kingdom and glory of heaven, you've got to somehow straddle those two worlds and you've got to somehow know what you know about the life to come, but help those who are stranded in the life that we exist in. And in between those two polarizing truths, that's where you live. That's where you will spend the rest of your life. Am I encouraging you yet? Later on in chapter 10, Paul is going to, the the Corinthians say this about Paul. They say, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. You see the you see the mystery there? You see the dichotomy there? You see the paradox of what they're saying? On one hand, we read his letters and he seems so knowledgeable and so great and so powerful, but then we see him and he doesn't look like what he ought to look like. You see, that that's the existence 
of who you have become now. That you proclaim this word that has such power and it pierces through the, the, the hardest heart and it changes the, the coarsest sinner and breaks them down into, in, into a broken vessel that God can then use. And yet at the same time, you will never look like one who possesses this power. You will never be seen as, as the, the superhero that sometimes this scripture sounds as if it ought to come from. And just like your Lord and Savior, who walked on this earth poor and looked pitiful and was often mocked and made fun of as he carried the message that would redeem the world, that's exactly how you will look to those whom you speak to. In the following chapter, chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 5, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, Paul says, to these ones who have infiltrated the church, these well-trained superior orators who have come in with this false gospel and and have now begun to to convince those who are in the church of this legalistic mechanism that thwarts the freedom and grace of the gospel. Paul, Paul responds and says, Well, I am not in the least inferior to these, even if I am unskilled in my speaking. I am not so in knowledge indeed. In every way we have made this plan plain to you in all things. You see, Brian... I know what you're thinking. I know that you're thinking, I'm not prepared for this. I'm not trained enough yet. Why couldn't it be another year? Why couldn't it be another two years? Why couldn't this just have waited until I I felt more confident? I learned more things. Maybe if I could have just, if I could go to seminary, I could learn everything I want to know. It doesn't work like that. You have to go when you... Understand and embrace the fact that you're not ready. You'll never be ready. No one is ready. It's not about being ready. It's about a great God who is always ready. And He is the one who will guide you and lead you. And so, what negative reports do they have to say about Paul? Well, notice the negative side of the things that they're saying. They say about Paul, well, he is dishonorable. And there's evil reports. They call him a deceiver. In verse 9, they say, well, he's unknown, he's dying, he's, he's chastened, sorrowful, poor. He's, he's as if he has nothing. In other words, all of these words were spoken to Paul. Why? Paul wasn't reciting a list of things that he thought could possibly be said about him. He, he wasn't... He wasn't reciting a list of things that he thought maybe somewhere there'll be some minister who who will be accused of these things. He's repeating things that he has heard spoken about himself. He is speaking from the pain and suffering of having received these harsh words from the people that he sought to serve. And so these were spoken to discourage him, to discredit him. You see, the mystery of the ministry is that you will now devote your life to serving and helping others. And in the midst of that, somehow, no matter how hard you 
try to convince yourself that everything you're doing, you're doing with a pure motive for the good of those you're trying to help, there will always be a voice. There will always be a voice that will say things to you to discourage you, to hurt you, to discredit you. And when that happens, don't take it personal because it's not about you. It's about what you have to say. And if there ever comes a time in your life that no one takes offense to what you're saying, then you better check what you're saying. Because so long as you're true to the Word of God, there will be opposition. But Paul also gives us the other side. He says positively, he says maybe by honor, maybe by good report, and yet true that people, there were those who believed him. There were those who, to him, he was yet well known. And behold, those who live and Yet he's always rejoicing. He's making others rich. And yet he's possessing all things. You see, how can Paul minister with the negative words that have been spoken about him ringing in his head and yet these positive truths that he knows to be real ringing in his head simultaneously? It's because he knows that there's a kingdom. He knows that there's a kingdom. And in this kingdom, things don't work the way they work here. This kingdom is a different kingdom. In this kingdom, beggars become princes. And criticism becomes encouragement. And mockery becomes honor. There is a kingdom where one day, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, will look and say to you, Come here, my servant. Sit in my courts and dine with me. For you have given your life to that which is best. You have devoted yourself to caring for what is mine. And you've been faithful in my service. Now enter into the fellowship of your Lord. Well done, my son. And you see, in the midst of all the struggle, in the midst of all the pain, there's the reality that this world does not exist as the kingdom that we exist to live in. The kingdom is yet to come. And in that kingdom, all the priorities of this earth are flipped upside down. And so as you face these challenges, as you strive each and every day to be this man that God has called you to be, remember that God's priorities are very different from those which exist in this world. So just as the greatest man who ever lived and walked on this earth was rejected by those he came to help, you need to do a few things with this mysterious truth about the ministry. And I think, first of all, you need to embrace the mystery. Don't try to solve the puzzle. Just embrace it as a mystery. Because you may think as you enter into these first months, as you work through this first year that maybe by the second year you'll have it figured out or the third year you'll have it figured out. Brother, it's not going to happen. Just embrace it as a mystery. It'll always be a mystery. It's glorious, but it's mysterious all at the same time. You see, there's two pitfalls as I see it to embracing this mystery. And one is, there's a temptation to 
avoid our insignificance and try to make much of yourself. There is this temptation that that creeps up alongside the man who is faithful to the truth. Because let's face it, it gets old being unpopular. It gets old being truthful. It gets old always having something that no one wants to hear to say. It gets old. And there's going to be a temptation to make much of yourself. And the only way to do that is to stray from the word of truth. You see, you can become popular. You can tickle people's ears. You can preach a message that the world will embrace and love to hear. But it is not the message of the gospel. It is the message of men. And so you must embrace the mystery and avoid the temptation to make much of yourself. When in reality you are oftentimes in this world insignificant. The second temptation is this. And it's simply to just deny your true greatness. That you see, you feel insignificant. You, you, you feel like this isn't working. But yet, in some sense, you understand that what God has called you to is the greatest of all callings. And that there is this real greatness in being called into the ministry. But you have to balance these two. You have to understand that there is an enemy who wants to destroy you. He wants to attack your marriage and he wants to attack your children. And Satan is going to work overtime, double time, triple time. And he's going to try to convince you that no one is listening to you. That you're not making any difference. That you, you pour your heart out and you preach your heart out and you teach your heart out and no one's changing and people are sleeping and they're looking at their watch and they're wondering when you're going to shut up and they're talking about it's too cold and then it's too hot and they don't like this and they don't like that. And listen, it's hard to ignore. But you have to understand something. Your greatness is not based on what you hear this way. It's what you hear this way. That God has proclaimed that those He sets apart for His gospel ministry, they're the least here, but they're great in the kingdom of God. And so be faithful to the truth. Do not listen to the the temptation to compromise for popularity. Don't do that. Always remember that your calling is the highest of all callings. That there's really no other... There's no other calling that compares... Yes, it is the most difficult of all occupations. Yes, you are going to face a stricter judgment. But the reason is, is because there's more at stake than in any other calling, in any other endeavor. The temptation to compromise and to shortcut will be great. But do not fall into that trap. Understand something. Many won't understand. It's not because they don't try. It's not because they don't love you. It's simply because they can't. Only a man who walks this path can understand and embrace this mystery. Suzanne, you're not getting out of this either. The glorious calling of gospel ministry 
is upon your life as well, as you well know. God has not only called Brian, but he's called you. And he's called your family. And you're the one. You're the one who's going to be the single mother on Sundays and on Wednesdays. You are the one who's going to have to share your husband with hundreds of other people whose problems seem to be far more pressing than yours. You are the one whose husband will walk in the door not just physically exhausted from a day at the office, not just mentally exhausted from having crunch numbers all day or going through whatever it is that happens to be his occupation, but your husband is going to walk in the door emotionally and spiritually spent. And there will be days where it will be all he can do to muster a hello, how was your day? And your calling as his wife is to just wrap your arms around him and pray for him and thank God for him. And to just ask the Lord to know without him having to say, But God is going to give you just a special gift that no one else on this earth will have. But you will just somehow know what no one else will know when He just simply needs you to pray for Him and to encourage Him. Because your words represent the only human voice that will always tell Him the truth that will always, always say, Honey, that wasn't that good. You could have done better. But when she says, You knocked it out of the park. It's the, it's the most blessed thing you'll ever hear. Because you know that she'll always tell you the truth. I want you to know, Suzanne, that your life, your life as a, as a pastor's wife is like a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And that He has set you apart as well to stand beside your husband and to love him. And He sees you in a special way. He knows that Brian can't answer this calling alone. The Lord's aware of that. And the day the two of you were married, God knew that this day would come. And He prepared you to be the woman that God needed you to be to stand beside your husband. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 of a virtuous wife, who can find one? Meaning that no one can. Only God can. That Brian didn't have enough sense to know that you were the keeper. God did. And to be a virtuous wife, that means to be, that word means strong. Not in your own strength, but in your weakness, God's strength will be made perfect. For her worth is far above rubies. There is no earthly treasure that is as valuable as a godly wife to stand beside you. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. Do you see how true these words ring in light of this moment and this time? That God knows exactly what He needs. So He will have no lack of gain because you stand beside Him. 
and Goose and Savannah. As you know, you are in this as well. And thankfully, you have uh, been friends with my children long enough uh, and, and you're able to see that, thank God, it's got to be better for you than it is for them. But I just want to remind you of a couple things on Kayla and Colton's behalf. All eyes are now on you. That there is no more blending into the crowd. There is no more opportunity to just be another kid. That from this point forward, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, the truth of the matter is, is that you are going to be looked at just a little bit closer than everyone else. You're going to be held to just a little higher standard than everyone else. And as difficult as it is for me to say, the truth is, is that, quite frankly, more is going to be expected of you both. And so, don't take that as pressure to somehow muster up the strength to, uh, to, to be some super kid, is that'll simply lead you in the opposite direction. But just rest in the fact that your heavenly Father would not have called your earthly Father if you were not prepared and ready to walk this road alongside Him. You're ready for this. He's prepared you for this. Just be who God created you to be. And remember something. It's not all bad news. That in a world filled with absent fathers, in a, in, a, in a ministry environment where you will oftentimes go to youth camp and retreats and, 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 and serve in various capacities alongside a multitude of teenagers who do not have a father figure in their life or anyone to look up to as a godly example. You, on the other hand, have living at home with you a man who has given his life for that which matters most. You see, when he comes home at the end of the day, yes, he might be tired. No, he's not going to be perfect. But remember, he's not out chasing the American dream. He's not climbing the corporate ladder. He's serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that and that alone should always be an encouragement unto you. That it is an amazing gift. An amazing gift. To have two parents that love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my prayer for you is that you will embrace your calling. And that you will understand that as the priest of your, your home, God's blessing will flow through your Father and into your lives. And so His grace will multiply upon you, grace upon grace upon grace. And don't hesitate to turn to God in your time of need and to say, Father, help me. Help me, for I am weak. And for all of His family, for all of those who have played in such an indelible role in Brian's life, for all of us in this room who have prayed and supported him and loved him and encouraged him along this journey, Tonight is a night that we celebrate what God has done. And that we, as a body, affirm Him, commend Him to the gospel ministry. That yes, the calling of God is a high calling. 
And yes, the standards of God seem unattainable. But praise be to Him that He gave His Son. We received His Spirit that we would not have to do it in our own power and strength. But God has made a way for you, Brian, to be His mouthpiece. You are no different from any Old Testament prophet or any New Testament apostle. None of them received this calling with any degree of confidence, with any degree of really gladness or joy. It was always in fear and trembling. The gladness and joy comes as you begin to walk, realizing that part of this mystery is is that every day things are going to be accomplished that you're really not going to understand. But you're going to know the source. And so I commend to you my brother, someone who I've had the privilege to watch grow, someone that I have had the privilege to work beside. You are ready for this challenge. And this family stands behind you to pray for you, to encourage you, and to be truthful to you as you are truthful to us in love for the glory of our Savior. So what I would like to do is, Brian, I'd like to call you up here to come and uh, sit before this congregation. And Suzanne and the kids, I'd like for you to come and sit in this front pew, if you would. Before you sit, Brian, I'd like to ask a few questions of you before this church body who commissions you today. Do you, Brian Yates, do you believe the Scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, as originally written to be the inerrant Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you, Brian Yates, promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truth of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, no matter what persecution or opposition may arise? Do you vow to be consistent in your study of the Word of God, showing yourself approved and a workman unto God? Do you vow to live up to the qualifications of a pastor found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus chapter 1? Do you engage today to be faithful and diligent in all your duties as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel and to endeavor by the grace of God to walk with exemplary character before the flock over which God shall make you an overseer? Do you vow not to neglect your family and to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Then on behalf of the council of men, I call you forward. We're on his ordination council. We have approved you unanimously into the gospel ministry. If you will have a seat, uh, those among us who are ordained men, will you come forward and gather around, lay hands? I would also like uh, a couple men here with the family, if you would, gather around the family as we pray. We want to pray for them as well. Brother Donnie, I think you're going to open us. Let's let these men get in place as we pray and thank God and ask for His power unto you. Come on, Willie. Our Father, we come here tonight to thank you, Lord. 
for the calling on this man. Father, I thank you for the privilege of knowing him, of knowing his family, of knowing his faith, his salvation. As we've already heard tonight, uh, his giftedness, Lord. And Lord, we know that, as Pastor has already said, that in the days ahead, that the enemy is going to come hard at Brian and his family. And so we pray for a hedge of protection about him. We pray for protection around Suzanne and Goose and Suzanne as they serve and as they love, as they minister, and as they give and give and give, and sometimes when it's not given back in return. God, I pray that you will fill them and lift them up. We thank you, Lord, for the impact that he has had on this congregation, upon teenagers and families and friends. Father, I pray that all the days of his ministry, that just as John the Baptist preached and said, Behold the Lamb of God, and men followed after Jesus, that Brian Yates will preach and proclaim loudly and boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not achieve followers for himself, but he'll preach. And men, women, boys, and girls will follow after Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for the calling. Lord, I pray that in these days ahead, that this church will stand with him shoulder to shoulder that this church will hold up his arms, that they'll love him and minister to him as he seeks to minister to them. Father, I thank you for the privilege that I have of being here tonight, of knowing my friend, And anxiously, Lord, and excitedly looking forward to the days ahead of what you're going to do through him, through his family. Lord, we love you. We love this church. And we pray, God, that everything that's done in his life will be pleasing and honoring to you. For it's in your name that we pray these things. Father, we bow before you now, knowing full well that in your sovereignty you knew that this day would come. Lord, we are grateful for the gospel in Brian's life. We are grateful that you called Brian to yourself. We are grateful, Lord, for your work on the cross. It's the day that Calvary was rocked with the death of the Son of God, we know that you are calling men to pastor from every continent, every generation. And you knew that Brian Yates would accept that great call, that humbling call, and say yes to his commander, to say yes to his king, to serve you. It is an honor to stand here and lay hands 
on this man that loves you. I have seen him weep because of the gospel. I've seen him cry tears of joy because of your love for him. And I stand with other men who've been set apart by you and by your church. And we affirm him before you, God, now and before men. We commission him into gospel ministry. We lay hands on him now, knowing that you have a ministry in his future with him and his family. And God, I pray that he would be faithful to your call. Lord, I pray that wherever you say go, that he goes, God. I pray that when you say do something that doesn't make sense to people around him, I pray, God, that you'd give him the faith and the courage to do it as he already has, as he's taken that step now. Lord, I pray for people in this room right now that might not know you. Lord, I pray that you would use Brian in their life. God, I'm so thankful that I'm serving in a church that knows you and loves you and that has men who are called to your ministry, God. And I'm so looking forward to serving with Brian Yates here. God, I'm... I enjoy seeing him walk down the halls of our offices. And God, I have four children that have yet to say yes to you because they're young. It would be an honor, God, if Brian Yates was their youth pastor. So God, I... I turn him over to you. God, be glorified. We pray that if anything happens, that people see Jesus in him. And that people hear Jesus in his words. Because one day we know through toil and hardship of ministry that our time will come when you call us home and we stand before you. You've called us to yourself and we see your face of the message that we've proclaimed and poured out everything in our life for, and we step into our eternal home, our inheritance with you, and it will be an honor to walk this road of difficult ministry with my friend, my brother, Brian Yates. It is an honor to lay hands on him right now. And we do with joy and gladness and tears, as we know you have great things in store for him and his life and his ministry. Give him many, many years to come. The glorious gospel ministry. We love you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for your grace. And we pray this all in the wonderful, holy, beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, men, for your prayerfulness. Brian, you can just have a seat there by your family. And so to us, to us, all of us, the question that remains is where do we go from here?
And I want to impress upon your hearts to search the Scripture, to seek the Lord and to ask Him, what is He calling you to? There are undoubtedly people in this room that God is calling to something. And you, like Brian, like me, face the same temptation to think that it's too insignificant, that it won't make a difference, that no one is going to be changed by it, that God's not going to use it. And so you don't move. And I implore you to move, to step up to the plate and respond to that which God is calling you to do. There are some of you in this room that you do not know the Lord. He is not your Father. You do not have a personal relationship with Him. You may know about Him. You may know of Him. But He is not your God. I would implore you that there is a great temptation. There is a war in your mind that is saying you've gone too far. You've done too much. You, in some way, have disqualified yourself from the grace of God. And I want to encourage you tonight that... Let tonight be an example that that is impossible. That no sin is too great for Jesus to overcome. And that the man who wrote the words that I commend to our brother was a murderer of Christians. And God called him to be a minister to the world. And so, if you're here tonight and you, you knew the old Brian... You knew the pre-Christ, Brian. Then let that be a reminder to you that that is exactly the kind of person that God delights to show Himself mighty in. And so if you are apart from Christ, don't leave this place without Him. You grab me or Brian or one of the other pastors and you say... I want to know about this Jesus. I want to give my life to Him. So, Brian, you come and stand. And Suzanne and the kids, y'all come right up here. And this certificate is to confirm the unanimous uh, calling of Michael Memorial Baptist Church to Brian Yates, as a minister of the gospel, brother, we love you. Thank you for your obedience to him. And may God be glorified in your ministry and for his glory. Amen. I present to you Brian Yates. have a prayer of uh, benediction by Brother Wade Benton. And at the conclusion of his prayer, we're all, all of you are invited to come and fellowship down in the fellowship hall, just right out those doors and across that parking lot. Uh, we're going to celebrate, eat some cake, uh, drink some tea or punch or something, and uh, you'll be able to take pictures or fellowship with Brian and Suzanne. And we invite all of you to come. Thank you for being here tonight. It's a glorious moment in the life of our church. And it's a glorious moment in the Yates family. Thank you to all of his uh, 
family and friends who have come tonight to support him, his fellow firefighters. May God use him in a glorious way uh, as a chaplain to those who are hurting and suffering. And we just thank God for your presence with us tonight. Brother Wade. Father God, we just want to appreciate you and thank you for blessing us again with your holy and righteous presence here. Father, it's been a great day to, to spend time with you and, and with your people, Lord. And, Father, you just moved in a mighty way and confirmed to us what we already knew. And, and Father God, what we needed. And, Father God, we thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for uh, allowing another brother in Christ to come to understand the great calling on his life, Lord, to serve a great and gracious God. Father, it's a privilege to serve such a, a wonderful and mighty God as yourself. And we thank you that you call those and that you equip those and empower those to serve you, Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you for today. We thank you for our brother Donnie coming and sharing a word this morning with us. And Father, we just appreciate all that you're doing here, and we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.